HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Copper and Kings, pure copper pot distilled American brandy aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels. For more information, visit copperandkings.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Buongiorno, you're listening to In The Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and we are coming to you a little bit late today. For those of you tuning in live, I apologize. The L train um, was running on some other time schedule that doesn't exist in uh, the universe. Um, But we are coming to you live from Bushwick. Uh, We're here at Roberta's. Uh, It's actually a beautiful spring day. Uh, And I am excited to have a great guest with you. Uh, But before we we move on, um, I want to let you know that... uh, uh, if you enjoy this episode, you can always tune in live on Wednesdays at 10-ish uh, <laughs> on heritageradionetwork.org or get all of the our past episodes uh, through heritageradionetwork.org or obviously you can subscribe on iTunes and get those uploaded to you directly. Um, if uh, if you want more, you can always come find me at one of our restaurants, Dalanima, Lartuzzi, La Picho, or Anfora, um, where I act as the uh, the beverage director. Um, I'm excited to uh, to get started today. We can welcome back uh, a guest, uh, Kevin Hedges from Vinaioli Selections. Welcome back to the studio. Thanks, Joe. Good to see you. And we're with Federico Scarcello from uh, Great Scarcello Winery up in Barolo. Welcome. Thank you, Joe. Um, Welcome to New York. What bring, what brings you to New York? Thank you for coming all the way out to Butcher. What what, what what is up with your trip this time? So the, each year I come in New York once or twice a year uh, to visit a customer, friends. Uh, I know you for years now. Yes. <laughs> and to show some new vintage. Uh, so the annual trip. This is part of the life cycle, part of the job, part of the job at this point. Yes, it's, it's strange. Uh, yeah. All the people think that wine producers stay in cellar and just uh, live in the vineyard, but we travel a lot. <laughs> <laughs> How much of your time is spent traveling throughout the year? Oh, I, it's difficult to to know because each year is different. Mm-hmm. But uh, about one month for sure. Well, one a little month. bit more. 
and consider that I have a very small cellar for that reason. I have not enough and not a big quantity of wine to sell. But for the larger producer, probably they have more than one people that travel all the year. Yes. Uh, so tell us about about your uh, your cellar. Your produ- so uh, I have a family cellar in Barolo. All my vineyards are in Barolo Village. I have five hectares, so really nothing. Um, the total production is around between twenty-five and thirty thousand bottles for year. Uh, I grow two grapes, Nebbiolo and Barbera, our indigenous variety, and my wine are Barolo, Barbera, and Langrebbiolo. It's, I love your wines too. Is that is that enough to sustain a family in Barolo to make twenty five thousand bottles a year? Yes, yes. In, in Barolo, yes, uh, of course. Uh, I have not airplane or <laughs> sea boat or something, but my life is good. I like it. Uh, it's difficult now in Barolo if someone wants to grow to to enlarge the cellar because mm-hmm. the price of land is crazy, but. Uh, I had a good opportunity because my family uh, have this uh, small property and uh, I can do this in the better way that I know. <laughs> yes. I, I've heard some crazy numbers like over a million euro per, per hectare. I think now for the good vineyard we are over than two. <laughs> over two million euro per hectare. And grows up in a very, very crazy way. Wow, very that's, fast. that's crazy. Because there is no land for, for on the market, so the producer <laughs> don't sell the the, 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 the vineyard. So, yeah. Um, and Kevin, so wel- welcome back. How do you uh, how do you like to think of Scarcello in the the the? I know you guys have some other great Barolo in your in your portfolio as well. How do you kind of position them? Um, Scarcello, to me, I mean, he's the most classic i mean from the village of barolo he's he's just to me his his barolos are so honest mm-hmm. and and true and pure um i mean i love that he just puts so much love and care into them as well and he's always holding the wines back and in the cellar even after they're bottled at least a couple years before they're released so um definitely um you know, you can experience that traditional style of Barolo, and he will release it when it's when he feels it's ready. Yeah, and where so you're in the you're in the area of Barolo within Barolo, um, where there are so many other great producers uh, as well. Tell us about your specific plot and what what that's like. So, <clears throat> majority of my, my vineyard are located in Sarmasa area. Mm-hmm. Sarmasa is part of the Beagle between Barolo and Namorra. Uh, the big hill is composed by Sarmas at the bottom, uh, Cerequio, on, and La Serra on the top, and on the right side, Brunate. So it's a famous piece of land. Uh, in particular, my vineyards are called Vigna Merenda in Sarmasa because our uh, old farmhouse in the vineyard is yeah. Cascina Merenda, and the vineyards around are Vigna Merenda. It's an extremely warm uh, vineyard in the Barolo area because it's a closed valley, uh, v- extremely exposed and very humid. So for that reason, uh, we have some extreme result. Yes. And uh, how do you feel about this uh, this term, like classic or traditional Barolo? It's something that people talk about a lot. I, I even I find that I use those terms frequently to help people kind of understand. Um, but what what are your thoughts on that? So this is a good question. Yeah. <laughs> 
for me, tradition is not the way to make wine, but is uh, the result in the glass. Mm. Uh, what I mean, the classic Barolo, traditional Barolo, uh, shows you the, the purity of tannin first, and wine are normally more vertical. Uh, the, the more modern one are more large, more impressive, and in particular, the modern Barolo are more ready, more uh, uh, expressive uh, when they are young. The traditional Barolo need a little bit more time. For that reason, I age all, all my wine two years more in cellar, in bottle, not in strange way, but because the traditional Barolo need a little bit more time. Then, of course, in the last years, there is many influence from the traditional to the modern and the modern to the traditional. Uh, now, uh, the trend is more on the traditional way. Uh, I mean, large barrel, less new wood, less toasted wood in the wine. But uh, even maceration is very important. Mm -hmm. For me, the base of uh, traditional wine is on maceration. Uh, long maceration or short maceration. Uh, I don't know if one is better of the other, but I do a long maceration and other producers do a short one. And do you do a temperature control during your maceration? Honestly, not, yeah. but for one reason. My my tank, fermentation tank, uh, are very small, and the quantity is not huge inside. For that reason, the temperature don't goes too much too high, uh, yeah. high, and uh, and then I works with uh, spontaneous fermentation. Mm -hmm. For that reason, the start is not very very fast, and normally we don't have big problem with temperature. Of course, in some vintage when we harvest a very very warm grape. Uh, we have to pay attention on it and work to, to control the uh, kind of fermentation. So we do some, some delestage, something like this, to reduce or push a little bit the power of the yeast. Yeah, but you don't, you don't ever control the, the temperature. No, no. no. Uh, and I, for me, I think that ambient yeast fermentation uh, it really does give a lot of character to the wine, especially from from the vineyard. So when you, when you combine those things like ambient yeast fermentation and long maceration and not using new oak from a great vineyard site, you have a great wine. So now is a in our area we talk a lot about the, the indigenous yeast or so I don't know the right name mm -hmm. of the yeast, but for me the big difference is between the spontaneous fermentation right. so fermentation the start with the yeast that come from vineyard from the cellar from the barrel honestly i don't control in the in the juice which is the yeast that uh, uh, ferment the wine but for sure in the in the spontaneous fermentation are different kind of yeast that do different part of fermentation in the start uh, there are some families and then other yeast uh, uh, do the, the big part of work when the fermentation is more uh, in, in, in the part when we have alcohol in wine, mm -hmm. the first family of yeast quit the, the, their work and other family uh, continue. So for that reason I think, I feel it in my wine uh, there is more complexity. Uh, when I start I was working with selected yeast so I have the <laughs> two situation in front and I see that wine are a little bit more complex uh, of course, the spontaneous fermentation are a little bit more complicated. You have to pay more attention. And in particular, uh, I think, I have not 
the experience with large quantity. But I think it's very difficult to do it with the large quantity in the, the big, mm -hmm. big tank, mm -hmm. I think. That makes uh, you know that makes a lot of sense. That when you have a large quantity, you have all many different types of yeasts, and uh, and obviously also the the temperature can go too high and ruin the obviously yeah. it can ruin your wine. Goes high in a very fast time, yeah. so this is the problem. Have you made? You said that there's been an exchange from the more modern producers, the more traditional producers. Have you ac adopted any of the more modern approaches as well? Uh, now we talk about style just cellar style mm -hmm. but the most important far, uh, part of our work is in vineyard and uh, vineyard style have to be uh, have to talk about vineyard style for a long time because uh, normally it's anyone much more important yes <laughs> and it's more interesting too i mean in this in the cellar every cellar looks very similar right but the vineyards what's so unique in particular yeah, yeah. and then each producer adapt his work to the specific vineyard because we know it very well because we follow it day by day and then really we spend uh, we talk about how much time we spend traveling uh, I told you one month yeah. but we spend uh, seven months in vineyard even more and then in cellar honestly the real work is one month right uh, then we follow the wine we try to preserve the wine but we made wine in two, three weeks. So we decide all in the maceration time, the fermentation. When the wine entering in wood, we just re-rack the barrel and <laughs> that's it. But the big work, the big de decision that we, we do are in the, in, the vineyard, in the vineyard, day by day. Uh, if cut one grape more or, or one grape less, mm -hmm. how we have to do for the soil. Uh, for a long time, we don't consider the soil. Uh, we just use the soil to plant the, 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 the plant inside and then uh, we need a, a dry and hard soil to go in with the truck with the tractor uh, now we have a different approach really different approach and you say what you mean people from barolo in general no? yeah, yeah is is a, a fast uh, fast and furious revolution <laughs> because all the producer you know barolo is a strange situation because you have a very small parcel one attached to the other and it's difficult to cover <laughs> one parcel or to, to uh, do something that anyone see. The yeah. other one see what you do, we talk about at the bar, and uh, there is a lot of curiosity, of course. And this makes a fast revolution. When you change something, many others are interested in and they follow your, your result. Interesting. That's very interesting. It's similar to Burgundy in that way. Where yeah. No, Burgundy is much more because yeah. <laughs> the line in Burgundy are very attached. You might There's have just more. two rows, yeah. but here at least your vin your vineyards are all open. Yeah. They're all open. It's so interesting. I want to talk to you more about um, this kind of soil revolution and and uh, organic viticulture, but we're going to have to take a quick break. We'll be back with more uh, after this. Breeze, breeze. Breathe, breathe, breathe. 
Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, the executive producer of Heritage Radio Network, also the host of Full Service Radio. And I want to talk to you about Brandy. Uh, I was lucky enough to visit Louisville, and we all know Kentucky is whiskey territory. However, the best thing I had to drink was brandy. I got to visit Copper and King's Distillery, and they make pure copper pot distilled American brandy aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels, matured with rock and roll. That's right. Sonic aging. They're playing music to the barrels. The stuff is double distilled, non-chill filtered, unadulterated by bois, sugar, or caramel color. And this stuff is feisty, rambunctious, with a long, smooth finish. This stuff isn't made exactly in the style of an international brandy or a cognac. It's more along the lines of an American whiskey. I can really be honest here and tell you, I'm not just reading you an ad, I'm giving you a tip. American brandy, you're not seeing it everywhere. Copper and Kings is doing it incredibly well, and they're cool people. The distillery is full of incredible art. Like I said, they're playing rock and roll to the barrels. So again, Copper and Kings, pure copper, pot distilled, American brandy, aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels. That's copperandkings.com. Drink it neat, put it in a cocktail, sub it for your brown spirits, experiment, have fun, get funky. This stuff is awesome. All right, we're back with uh, Federico Scarcello and uh, Kevin Hedges. Uh, we're talking about Barolo. And uh, when we left, we were talking about this change of um, a, more attention to the soil, which didn't happen before um, in, in Barolo. Federico was saying that people were paying much more attention to, uh, to just to making soil that was hard and brittle so you can come through the tractor uh and it was more about the aging of the wine maybe or or just just uh just the the grapes but now what uh, what have been the actual changes to the approach how do you improve your soil life you you have always to consider the 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 story of one wine region so in in barolo area for a long time the cellar was very small we have nothing in cellar and of course, my father's generation uh, spent a lot of efforts to renew the cellar, to build the proper cellar, and to change the wood, and blah, blah. Uh, and this was the expensive part of the work. They built new cellar, they had a new space to store the bottle, and all. Uh, and then we had the experience with the modern viticulture for 40 years, 35 years before was really, I don't know how I have to call organic, natural, <laughs> because for a long, long time, viticulture was what no, now we call organic. Mm. Uh, and this window of 35 years show us that before they preserved viticulture for 2,000 years or probably more, uh, we see that in the new way, so in the conventional, we call conventional way, it's more difficult to preserve viticulture in place like Barolo with this pressure of viticulture uh, for a long, long time because we see some problem in the soil. The soil lose the life. Uh, and we have to consider then vineyard takes nutrition from the soil by uh, some fungus, some uh, all, all what made... Uh, mm, Sostanza organica, I don't know the translation in the mm -hmm. soil, uh, is made by the uh, alive uh, um, elements in the soil. And this is very important. We, we don't pay attention on it for 30 years, but now we go back in this direction. Uh, 
So it's using organic viticulture, not using chemicals. But uh, I imagine there had been so much damage that had been done with all of these years of, of using all these chemicals. Is there a way to improve, or is when, when once you stop using chemicals, once people you know laid off that stuff, does the soil naturally improve and come back to life by itself, or do you have to do something? Yes, it's not immediate. Uh, of course, if the soil arrives at the end of its life, so become a desert, it's impossible to come back. Mm-hmm. But we had part of life in soil. Of course, not enough. And uh, now we try to improve this process, uh, in particular because, like always, we want fastly the result. And for that reason, we have to do something to have the result very, very fast. Uh, otherwise, the soil can rebuild the natural mm-hmm. situation, but takes a long, long time. Uh, we try to help him to be faster in this process. Uh, we work in the soil again for a long time. We don't touch the soil, but now we work again. Uh, we put some seeds that uh, that do the uh, network cleaning of the soil. Uh, yeah, we we try to increase the the substance organica with with compost and with. All, all the normal things that uh, all, all, all producers in the world know it, but probably in some other areas they have less pressure of viticulture. Mm-hmm. In our area, really, you know Barolo and there are just vineyards. So we see the problem a little bit earlier than <laughs> other areas. Yeah, and, uh, and it's great to hear that, that this is going on throughout. Um, is there someone who is kind of taking the lead and advising people on how to make these conversions or uh, is it something that's more word of mouth? How, how, how do people find out? Both. Both. Uh, because when one revolution starts, uh, of course not all the producer takes this way immediately but then it's natural to be there. Uh, 20 years ago it was three or four uh, producer that was biologic, probably no one biodynamic in Piemonte, but the, the, in, in Lange in particular. But the mm, biologic producer was uh, looked like a uh, so strange man that do some philosophic thing in vineyard. Uh, now we translate this idea and we adapt this idea to each vineyard, but each producer, even the, the, the growers that sell grapes uh, follow this way because they understand that they need to preserve the, 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 the vineyard. They need to improve the, 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 the quality of the grapes. Mm-hmm. So this is really a process. So all, all, of course there are uh, many meetings where we talk about that. Now is a very, very uh, important uh, um, argument or so. Yeah. Sorry, but my English is always very, very difficult, and, and, and radio for great. me is yeah. a strain. So, <laughs> um, argumento is argument. It's, okay, it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk in Italian. So. Do you have so? Do you have organized meetings? I know Kevin was mentioning during the break that you're involved uh, with the local producer, producers in yeah. some sort of organized way. Yes, we, we organize something, and there is a lot of interest. So, all time that we organize meeting with someone that uh, talk us something about natural way uh, of uh, vine growing 
there is a lot of interest from 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 the producer and i see our meeting but even meeting organized by mm -hmm. other organization are always full of people that are very interested yeah and i've heard a lot of people suppose that prices for barolo are going to increase significantly um, do you feel like that is that's going to happen in any time soon so this is a very difficult question yes <laughs> Uh, I hope that this, that this is right, but <laughs> for me, but uh, uh, no, I, I don't think that the price of Barolo jump in a crazy level. Uh, it grows up in a good way now, uh, but uh, my my preview is that price of Barolo now is a little bit stabilized, mm -hmm. uh, and of course, for some particular wine, probably grows up a little bit more, but. I don't expect a big, big change. Okay. I'm happy to hear this. I, mean, I still think that Barolo is a, a very great value compared to the other great wines of, of the world. Um, and uh, it's it's always still a luxury and it's expensive, but compared to the best of Burgundy or Bordeaux or even California, Cabernet and that sort of thing, Barolo is, always represents for me a, an incredible value. Um, and so, and when I hear things like two million dollars per hectare, it's it's scary that maybe these wines are going to go bonkers and just go absolutely crazy. But consider that when we talk about this price for land, in the market you find probably one or two hectare That's a year. So yeah, don't change the price of the of the area. So wine producer have land, so they use their land. And uh, this market is really ridiculous. So mm -hmm. it's just so one that want uh, three thousand more square meter and pay a lot of money, but uh, don't change the big investment of producer because normally producer don't increase a lot the propriety year by year. And, and I, I I agree with that, and I hope that is that that remains the case. Um, and then I just want to talk about the uh, the entire region of of Barolo. Um, I find even as a, a wine buyer, as a professional, someone who loves Barolo and who's been there, uh, maintaining remembering all of the different crews and the different communes, it remains still a challenge for me. Uh, is this something that you found that there's good understanding of? Uh, or do you think that Barolo can tell that story a little bit better? No, of course we, we have to, to show better the, 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 the story of the crew and uh, uh, to explain better the difference between one and the other. This is a big work that we have to do in the future. Uh, you see my, my label. I have one crew label and the other one is called Comune di Barolo. I think in future the village appellation, so the community, uh, become a, an important appellation because it's easier for the market. Mm -hmm. For people, it's easier to understand the difference between Barolo and Serralunga. Uh, of course, the, the people with a lot of knowledge about Barolo area can know very well the difference between uh, Parafada and, uh, and Canubi, but uh, the village are 11, the Korea are more than 100, so... Uh, for, for the basic consumer, of course, the village appellation is easier to remember. And this is the first step. Then you can go deeper in the appellation and you learn about one hill and the other one. But I think the, 
village appellation become an important mm-hmm. uh, way to introduce many new consumers to the, to the Barolo complexity. And this is something that you're legally allowed to do right now. You can write yeah. Comune di Serralunga, Comune yeah. di Barolo. From, from the modification of Disciplinare in 2010, okay. with the 2010 vintage, we are allowed to do it. And I think it's a big change uh, of mentality, too. I think this is this will be really helpful for uh, yeah for our people. We worked a long time for this Disciplinare, yeah. and now probably it's not the best in the world, but it's much better than in the past. And uh, reglement do the regulation of these those names uh, and of course we can do better but uh, now is a good situation i think do you think there will ever be a grand cru system for the best for the best crews that's something i've heard talked about so don't forget about a region that have grand cru that have level classification do it many years ago yes when the interest on wine and interest on, on vineyard was lower now become really very very difficult and then honestly uh, the crew is very important uh, but for me is important to show the different name of different land uh, and divide one vineyard to the other uh, in the in the proper way, then the value of wine uh, is not just connected with the vineyard. Of course, the vineyard is fundamental, but is not just connected to the vineyard. Producer do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, we're gonna have to finish up shortly. Uh, but Kevin, I wanted to ask you, uh, which of uh, of his wines are on the market right now? What can we find around town? Uh, we're currently offering 2006 and 2008 Community de Barolo. That's amazing. And uh, 2008 uh, Vigna Miranda is a uh, crew wine. Um, he also produces a uh, brilliant Barbera, which we're offering uh, 2011 Barbera and uh, 2013 Nebbiolo. And we should mention uh, his project of uh, Erpa Crife as well. Oh, that's right. Tell us about Erpa Crife. So if you remember, we had a tasting at Lartuzzi years ago. With yes. Pa- we started with Derpa Grife. Derpa Grife is a fun project. I do it with uh, three school friends. When we was in an enological school in Alba, the graduation year, uh, we start this strange spumante uh, made with Nebbiolo, 100% Nebbiolo. We rediscovered the tradition to use Nebbiolo for, for uh, sparkling wine. Is a classic method, 100% Nebbiolo, uh, at least 36 months on the lease, and, uh, and is a dosaggio zero, so it's a not dosed wine. Uh, you said it, you rediscovered this method, this was something that was done many years ago? Yes, so the tradition of Spumanti in Italy, in Italy starts in Piemonte. Uh, of course, start with the, with the indigenous variety at the beginning. Uh, the Moscato stay in this way. Uh, and for the, the other variety, they think that, of course, was better to continue with the traditional uh, uh, way, and they start to plant Pinot Noir, Chardonnay for the very uh, no, classic, classic method. Uh, then we lose a little bit the, the Spumante tradition in Piemonte, and now there is uh, again uh, the, the new uh, spring of Spumante, the Metodo Classico in Piemonte. And even the Nebbiolo become very, very curious because when we start, we start making a rosé wine 
and in that time the rosé was considered really very bad wine uh, we start making a metodo classico with an indigenous variety it was no indigenous spumanti on the market at that time uh, and then we do a dosaggio zero at that time spumanti have to be so sexy and, right. and not dry and, uh, and aggressive so now something give us the reason uh, of our project and the good satisfaction is that many other producers now start making Nebbiolo Spumante and this for us is, is really a big satisfaction we started when we was young stu student in enological school and now uh, it's very very nice to see a famous producer important seller that makes the same project and this now you see many producers who are doing Metodo Classico from indigenous yeah. grapes all over Italy all over which is not insane. just in Italy yeah. even in Champagne you find it so this is curious but uh, is there is there you know, uh, probably is a trend. Uh, mm -hmm. The indigenous variety now are rediscovered because indigenous variety makes difference in a good way and in the bad way, but makes difference. Yes. And if those variety are indigenous, there are some reason. Mm -hmm. They've they spent all that time adapting to the area, and that's it. I, I'm a big proponent of indigenous rights. <laughs> I, I love it, and also a big proponent of your wines. I am so Thank excited you. to have you on the show today. Enrico's Cartel. Kevin Hedges, welcome back. Thank you so much. Look for these wines. Um, it's pretty amazing to find the uh, to find Barolo that's well-aged at the cellar um, and that, that tastes so good and so so true and real. So thank you so much for, for being on the show today. Thank you very much. Thanks, uh, Joe. Thanks to all of you guys for listening. Thanks to the whole team at Heritage. You guys are the best. This has been In the Drink at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.